dobre. This is Joanne Janitsky, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the February 22nd, 2024 issue of the Ampole Eagle on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. I hope everyone is well and enjoying uh, our Four Season Days in Buffalo. Four Season Days are when winter, spring, summer, and fall all happen in the same day. And we've had a few of those. So let's jump right in to the front page of the Ampole Eagle, the voice of Americans of Polish origin, serving the Polish-American community in New York State for over 60 years. And I know we have listeners and readers all across the country. Sunday's Bash is part of a year-long Chopin celebration. The Chopin Singing Society kicked off its busy 125th anniversary year, joining with the choirs of the Polish Singers Alliance of America in a festival of carols reprised in Hamilton, Ontario, and also sang as part of a program celebrating Thaddeus Kosciuszko and his aide-de-camp Agrippa Hull honoring Martin Luther King Jr. in January. Their activities continue on Sunday, February 25th, with a concert celebrating Frederick Chopin's 214th birthday, a long-standing tradition of the choir. Uh, Adam Mickiewicz, considered the greatest poet of Poland and a contemporary of Chopin, was added to the celebration as December 24th was his 225th birthday. His poetry and music, his po I'm sorry, his poetry and music based on his poetry uh, was included in the program at the Canisius University Montante Center, Main Street, Buffalo. The event was free and open to all. The Society will hold its annual meeting on Sunday, March 10th, including an election, and their famous Dingus Day celebration will follow on April 1st, joining with St. Stanislaus Bishop and Martyr Church in the church's social hall. Patrons can get their Pussy Willow Pass from Chopin members or from the church. Chopin's former club rooms on Kosciusko Street hosted a Dingus Day party beginning in 1961, the brainchild of Ted and Anne Mikol, and has continued at different venues throughout, except for the COVID hiatus. The choir honors their founding and the celebration of St. Adalbert with Mass at St. Adalbert Basilica, on Saturday, April 20th at 5.30 p.m. A small group of parishioners of St. Adalbert were called together by organist Boleslas Michalski in March of 1899 to form a secular choir, choosing the greatest Polish composer as their patron, and the rest is history. In May, the choir plans to preview its history book being finalized by author Gregory Vitol, along with a pictorial exhibit of its storied history. A grand anniversary banquet is planned along with other celebrations as the year progresses. The public is invited to honor the patron of the Chopin Singing Society uh, at all of these events. Let's go to some photographs. We had uh, previously talked about the uh, uh, response to love centers uh, drive for uh, soup, soup cans. I think it was uh, soup for the Super Bowl. That's what it was. So there's a photograph here. Uh, Sister Janice is uh, certainly pictured in this photograph. Um I'm guessing it was taken on Ash Wednesday because it looks like a lot of these ladies have ashes on their forehead. And it says, sharing the love, 
February 14th, oh yes, which was also Ash Wednesday, was a day of multiple celebrations. It was Ash Wednesday, Valentine's Day, and the day the Greater East Buffalo family of parishes joined together to drop off its Soup for the Super Bowl collection at the Response to Love Center. Representatives from St. Stanislaus, St. Catherine Drexel, St. John Canty, St. Adalbert, and Corpus Christi presented Sister Janice with the donated cans of soup and indicated that the collection included a donation from West Hare Automotive Group. As Sister Janice extended her appreciation, she graciously offered a tour of the Response to Love Center facilities and a review of the work of the center. Now, I'm guessing that the West Hare Automotive Group either donated a lot of cases of soup or a very generous monetary donation. But it looks like, in this photograph, they also donated um, Josh Allen uh, for the photograph because there is, of course, a cutout, but he participated uh, with this fine group of volunteers. He's the only one not holding a soup can, but uh, it's a fine photograph nonetheless. Um, let's go to deadline for Catholic League scholarship is March 31st. $15,000 is earmarked for Western New York. In the last five years, the Catholic League for Religious Assistance to Poland and Polonia has awarded nearly $500,000 in scholarships to college students of America's Polonia who are active in their parish. The St. John Paul the Great scholarships are awarded in the Chicago area, and Western New York has also benefited, with approximately $30,000 being awarded here to date. An anticipated $15,000 is earmarked for Western New York this year. They are awarded to U.S. citizens or permanent residents between the ages of 18 and 24, with at least one parent of Polish descent who are or will be enrolled in an accredited college or university with a GPA of three on a four-point scale, financial need is considered. The purpose of the scholarship is to provide future leaders for the Catholic Church and Polonia. Recipients are required to engage in regular faith formation meetings and can be considered for awards for multiple years with the goal of ensuring that our young people will have the best education and formation during their college years. Visit St. John Paul the Great Scholarship Application Catholic League for an outline of requirements. And this is all one word, catholicleaguepolonia.org. The Catholic League Polonia is all one word. So it's catholicleaguepolonia.org. Please note that these are modestly adjusted for Western New York. You can contact Mary Lou Vidalbeck at vidalbeckml at gmail.com for these adjustments. Please submit information by March 31st, 2024. So you've got uh, certainly a month um, to take advantage of filling out that application. And you know what they say, you gotta be in it to win it. So, uh, good luck to anyone in Western New York who is applying. Let's jump to Polish News Bites, compiled by our Warsaw correspondent, Robert Strebel. New Children's Rights Spokeswoman Replaces Traditional Predecessor. The Tusk-led three-party coalition has replaced Mykolaj Pawlak with Monika Horna-Cieślak as Poland's new children's rights spokesperson or ombudsman or ombudswoman. Pavlak, whose five-year term in office ended in December, was an advocate of traditional family values, which most Poles still endorse. 
His successor has been described as an LGBT-friendly progressive and a staunch opponent of even the mildest form of corporal punishment. Poland's command, I'm sorry, Poland commands NATO's annual cybersecurity exercise. Poland was in command of NATO's latest five-day cybersecurity drills, codenamed Cyber Coalition 23. The exercise was part of the alliance's expanded strategy, launched at NATO's 2016 Warsaw Summit, which recognized international cybersecurity as a military operational domain alongside land, sea, and air, Poland's PAP news agency reported. Polish couple wins UN award. Lena and Władysław Krochowski have received the 2023 United Nations Nansen Refugee Award for providing free shelter for over 14,000 war refugees fleeing Putin's aggression against Ukraine. They are the first Polish winners of the award, which, quote, honors individuals, groups, and organizations who go above and beyond the call of duty to protect refugees, as well as internally displaced and stateless people, end quote. The Grochowskis own a hotel chain and real estate company and began putting up refugees soon after Russia launched its full-scale aggression in February 2022. I'm very proud of my Polish heritage and the citizens of Poland who really, really uh, accepted so many Ukrainian refugees. Would be nice if we started to do that here. Tusk-led coalition tussles with Polish energy giant. Poland's state-owned energy giant, Orlen, was the pride and joy of the outgoing Law and Justice Party. CEO Daniel Obitek turned it into the biggest such company in Central East Europe. It operates four oil refineries, 2,900 filling stations in four different countries, provides natural gas, electricity, heat, and even owns a chain of newspapers. The new coalition has agreed to keep in force a consumer price freeze on energy initiated by its LNJ predecessors by forcing Orlin to foot the bill. As a result, the company lost nearly six billion zlotys in a single day of trading on the Warsaw Stock Exchange. Ouch. Okay. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. The um, let's see. We'll go. We'll jump to an editorial. Trump needs a history lesson. Earlier this month, former president and presidential candidate Donald Trump recalled a conversation he said he had with the leader of a, quote, big country. Reuters reported his comments this way, quote, Well, sir, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? Trump quoted the unnamed leader as saying, I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. Trump said, no, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them, Russia, to do whatever the hell they want. You gotta pay, Trump said. Trump has always pushed NATO members to pay their fair share for military defense. And we have no problem with that. But his remark, I would encourage them, Russia to do whatever the hell they want is reckless. Certainly Vladimir Putin has no morals, as has been illustrated by the killing of his political opponents. He sees Central Europe as the long lost part of the Russian Empire, which he would like to reclaim, and that includes Poland. We would encourage Mr. Trump to read, quote, dangerous knowledge or what Polish authors always knew about Russia. Uh, that's on a web page 
culture.pl. Written by Mikolai Glinski, the article begins, quote, in the 19th century, Polish authors from Mokniatsky and Michkevich to Norvid and Conrad gained unique first-hand knowledge of the Russian Empire and its doings. This knowledge would remain useful and topical, if also largely unheeded, across the last two centuries. Here's what they knew. End quote. In Russian interests are not the interest of the West and the United States. The world watched and did nothing as Putin amassed troops at the Ukrainian border. The war is not here yet. We spend billions on military aid while thousands upon thousands of lives are lost, creating cities of rubble. While Putin has no problem with this, we should. We should be proactive, not reactive. Flippant remarks in a world full of turmoil are dangerous. On that note, let's take our first break. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Ampole Eagle on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Okay, moving right along. Deadline extended for Kosciuszko Foundation's Teaching English in Poland. The Kosciuszko Foundation's Teaching in Poland program is looking for American volunteers who wish to connect with Polish and Ukrainian children and teachers during this summer in Poland. Become a TEIP teacher or assisting teacher and spend summer 2024 in Poland. The application deadline has been extended to March 18, 2024. The Kosciuszko Foundation is looking for teachers, American teachers of all subject areas in K-12 schooling and higher education, individuals with viable teaching experience. They're looking for teacher teaching assistants, university and high school students who will be at least 18 at the time of departure for Poland, retired individuals or other adults. The TEIP program camps are located in eight different cities all across Poland. All camps include all room and board. They're provided by Polish hosts for the camps and post-camp tours. Camps are two weeks with beginning and weekend cultural activities, followed by a three-day tour of Polish sites of national and cultural interest. Apply and read more about the 2024 TEIP program, current camp opportunities, dates and locations on the Kosciuszko Foundation Teaching English in Poland website. And you'll find that at thekf.org. So it's all one word, T-H-E-K-F dot org. I guess that's not really a word. So, um, if you fancy uh, spending the summer in beautiful Poland and uh, helping Poles with their uh, English language studies, that could be a golden opportunity for you. Let's jump to Polonia's calendar. Okay, looks like they've broken this up into ongoing events, which I think is a, a great idea. Um, is certainly for Lent, they last all Lent. And then the, uh, the regular calendar. Let's start with the ongoing events. Jesus laments. This emotionally stirring chanted prayer in English. Uh, it's called Goshke Jale is at 9.40 in the morning, every Sunday of Lent at St. Casimir Church, 160 Cable Street in Buffalo. St. John Canty's Lenten Pierogi and Plotzek Sale with a basket raffle. That's at Broadway and Swinburne during Lent on Saturdays and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the rectory. Sales run through Palm Sunday when the basket raffle drawing takes place. Also selling St. Adalbert's chocolates, which will include their chocolate last supper. Uh, 
Sunday Mass is at 10.15 a.m. Gorzkajala in Polish is every Sunday for six weeks at St. John Gwalbert Church, Gwalbert Avenue in Chictawaga at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. Okay, uh, the regular um, calendar. We've got uh, Sunday, March 3rd. Polish Arts Club of Buffalo Scholarship Award and Installation Luncheon. That's at Potts Banquet Hall, 41 South Rossler Avenue at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, For tickets or details, uh, I'll go slowly with these numbers. They're in the 716 area code, so that helps you. 310-3555. Again, 310-3555. Or 837-2061. On Saturday, March 16th, Pizanki making class. It's at the Ampole Eagle, 3620 Harlem Road. There are two two-hour sessions, one at 10 in the morning and one at 2 in the afternoon. You have to call to register uh, 983-5084, 983-5084. There's a $25 uh, fee to take the class, and everything you need is provided. And um, I guess this is full disclosure. Uh, last year, I took my great niece, Alexis, uh, to the Ampole Eagle Pizanki making class. We had a grand time. We learned a lot about the history and the designs of making Pizanki, and we both made uh, Pizanki eggs. My niece is a much better uh, artist than I am. Hers turned out better, but they both turned out pretty pretty darn good. So if you've ever thought about trying Pizanki, it's pretty easy. Um, Just go for it. You know, uh, we're really good at putting things off sometimes because we think we have more important things to do. Mm, Take time out for yourself. Take time out for your heritage and sign up for the Pizanki making class on Saturday, March 16th at the Ampole Eagle offices. Okay, that commercial's over. Let's go on to Thursday, March 21st. The PBW of Polonia dinner meeting. It's at the airport hotel. The speaker is Rick Falkowski presenting Influential Buffalo Women. Details to follow. Uh, Saturday, March 23rd, another Pizanki making class and demo. This one is at 6.30 in the evening. Um... That's at the Adam Michkevich Library, 612 Fillmore Avenue. The cost is $30. And to register and reserve your spot, they give an email address. AMLDC1895 at gmail.com. I'll do it again. AMLDC. C. I hope it's C and not an E. Uh, pretty sure it's C. 1895 at gmail.com. And then we have on Saturday, March 23rd, a Butterlam class. It's a, again at the Ampole Eagle offices, 3620 Harlem Road. There are three sessions. 9 in the morning, 11 in the morning, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. That's a $15 class. And to register, 983-5084. I might have to sign up for that one. And then Thursday, May 23rd, PBW of Polonia Scholarship Dinner Meeting. That's at Clocks Grove, and details will follow. Okay. Um... 
city announces partner for central terminal reuse. There is a, it's a black and white photograph, but it's still pretty striking. Um, it's a rendering, so it's not a real photograph. It's what the uh, developers and the architects have uh, created um, as a design. It's a rendering of activated Buffalo Central Terminal passenger concourse and waiting room. It's from the selected developer team. And it looks pretty impressive. Let's see what it says. The Central Terminal Restoration Corporation and the City of Buffalo Mayor's Office of Strategic Planning recently announced a preferred development partner to advance the reuse, uh, reuse of the Buffalo Central Terminal. The team of CB Emanuel Realty, LLC, the Alexander Company, and Rise Community Capital will lead the reuse of the Central Terminal. This team was selected for alignment with the CTRC's vision, plan, and program, financial capacity and feasibility, diversity, equity, and inclusion goals, and strategies, and team structure, as well as experience and capabilities. Quote, the selected development group brings a combined wealth of experience and a proven track record of revitalizing historic landmarks, said Empire State Development President, CEO and Commissioner Hope Knight. She continues, after a very thorough national search that brought in a number of quality responses, we are confident that CB Emanuel, the Alexander Company, and Rise Community Capital will usher in a new era for the Central Terminal and turn this iconic structure into a catalytic anchor for the Broadway Fillmore neighborhood and East Buffalo and a general generational investment in the city of Buffalo." End quote. The Preferred Development Partnership has also been selected by the City of Buffalo Mayor's Office of Strategic Planning for their neighboring portion of the former train station, 59 Memorial Drive, through the joint solicitation process. Collectively, the proposed 30-plus acre development project will include the renovation of four historic structures and 10-plus acres of land owned by the City of Buffalo. CTRC owns the main terminal building, the four-story mail and baggage building, and an attached structured parking garage and entry plaza and the front lawn. The city of Buffalo owns adjacent land towards the train tracks, including the two-story post office building and railway express building. Quote, I'm proud to partner with the Central Terminal Restoration Corporation to breathe new life into this historic structure. I commend the hard work of my staff in the Office of Strategic Planning. They worked for the past three years to develop plans for the redevelopment of the Central Terminal, including 59 Memorial Drive, said Mayor Byron W. Brown. He continued, my administration is dedicated to development and neighborhood building throughout the city of Buffalo. A $61 million initial investment from the Regional Revitalization Partnership to support this multi-phased 10-year $300 million project is focused on efforts that build the CTRC's capacity and prepares the structure and grounds for redevelopment and use for community-minded events and programming. Initial construction work will focus on safety and stabilization repairs and readiness for reuse. Specifically, work that will take place in 2024 and 2025 includes stabilization of the plaza and parking garage in order to allow vehicular access to the main terminal building, stabilization of the Gustavino acoustolith tiles that line the interior of the concourse vault, 
the highest priority roof repair and window enclosures and care and maintenance of the grounds for safety and accessibility for event attendees and passive use by the community. Well, that's a big, big project and it's moving along. And boy, that, that can get a lot of people excited. Um, let's take another quick break. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Ampole Eagle on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Let's go to Andrew Ostrowski. Notes, Quotes, and the Polish Life. I think this is going to be a good one. It's the third anniversary of the Castaway Kayaker. And there is a photograph of, um, let's just say an older gentleman. Uh, long beard, but well-kempt. And long hair, again well-kempt. He's got a sport coat on, it looks like. Um, I'm going to guess that he's our kayaker. Let's find out all about him. Gotta admit, he bears an uncanny resemblance to Tom Hanks in the film Castaway. In that remarkable film, the bronze-bearded Hanks, of course, finally escapes a deserted island after five lonesome years and does so via a makeshift raft that eventually ran amok out at sea. And if you've ever seen or read anything about the late Polish adventurer, Aleksander Doba, you may have immediately made a connection to Hanks. Doba has been featured in this column in years past, but today is the third anniversary of his death and what a better time to pay tribute to an incredible person. Born in September 1946 to a mechanic father and a homemaker mother near the city of Poznan, Dubba grew up ice skating on ponds and skiing through forests. His first endurance test was at 15 years of age, riding across Poland on a bicycle that his father built from scrap parts. In the early 1970s, he graduated from Poznan University of Technology, where he studied mechanical engineering. A few years later, he married, settled in the town of Polis, which is in the upper northwest of Poland, and got a job at a chemical plant. Then, in 1980, with Polis bearing near Poland's second longest river, the Oder, his co-workers asked him if he wanted to join their kayaking club, and soon he was spending all of his weekends out on the water. By the turn of the millennium, Dubba was a skilled kayaker and adventurer, evidenced in his 80-day trek around the Baltic Sea, as well as jumping 14 times with a parachute from piloted gliders. Keep in mind, this was no spring chicken. Dubba was closing in on 60 years of age. So, wow. In 2003, he won the gold medal at the Open Academic Polish Championships in whitewater kayaking and defended the title the next year. Sooner or later, it would be no wonder then to find Dubba in the Guinness Book of Records, as well as being named Adventurer of the Year by National Geographic. We've all heard about Charles Lindbergh, but Alexander Dubba? Dubba's first voyage across the Atlantic Ocean was from Senegal, which is in Africa, to Brazil in 2010 and spanned 3,352 miles. He was 65 years old when he made this trip. It set a record for the longest open water crossing ever undertaken by a kayaker at roughly 99 days. During the trip, 
Doba's skin broke out in salt-induced rashes, his fingernails nearly peeled off, and his eyes suffered from conjunctivitis. While it was not the first transatlantic kayak crossing in history, Doba was the first one to travel this way from continent to continent, not from island to island. Ha! It's easy if you've got island paradises to stop over on. But Doba didn't stop off on any island. Sort of like Tom Hanks on a raft. All or nothing. In his 2013 adventure, from Portugal to Florida, which took 196 days and covered 6,300 miles, a Greek tanker made the mistake of trying to rescue him, shouted Doba, me fine, giving a thumbs up. The ship's crew offered to throw him ropes. He refused. During his voyages, Dubba admired the majesty of the sea and cherished wonders that he alone witnessed. He saw shooting stars at night and playfully tapped the shells of turtles that swam alongside him. When he became convinced that someone was watching him, he studied the water closely. Quote, Then I saw it, a huge head sticking out of the ocean, he told Canoe and Kayak magazine. He continued, the whale swam here and there all around my kayak. Its 20 meter long tail was wagging. And then suddenly the whale went down and disappeared into the ocean. End quote. Sound like the same scene in Castaway? You might think the Hollywood made up movie was based on Doba's real experiences. But incredibly no, the opposite is true. Doba actually relived the seafaring part of the movie, which was made years earlier. In 2017, Doba completed his third solo transatlantic kayak trip when he went from Barnegat Bay in New Jersey to Le Conquet in France. He was at sea for 100 consecutive days. He used a 23-foot kayak weighing 1,500 pounds. And just like in the Hanks film, during the trip, he struggled against storms and his rudder was damaged. He became the first person to kayak across the Atlantic from North America to Europe. And let's reverse that. Also the first person to kayak across the Atlantic from Europe to North America. He was 71 years old by this time. Perhaps most folks at that age prefer to live the easy life not Alexander Doba. But how did such a senior survive for months at sea time after time, stocking his kayak with jars of his wife's plum jam? He supplemented that with freeze-dried goulash and porridge, chocolate bars, and homemade wine. And when flying fish landed on his deck, he snacked on them alive. Ew. Quote, very fine, said Doba, better than sushi, end quote. Sadly, uh, on this day in 2021, Alexander Doba passed away from asphyxia, resulting from high-altitude pulmonary edema after reaching the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro at 19,341 feet. The comforting fact being that it was Doba's desire, according to his son, Cheshwav, because, quote, he said many times that he didn't want to die in his bed. From what we gather, he was euphoric to reach the summit. Then he sat down, took in the view, fell asleep, and passed away. What a great story. What an amazing human being. Um... You know, we all know that uh, the polls, uh, it, the polls in Poland, and the polls uh, and the people of Polish heritage um, are tough, uh, often pretty stubborn. And it sounds like Mr. Doba had uh, a good, good source of both features. Well. 
I might want to do some more reading up on Mr. Duba and his uh, story. Okay, let's jump to Ask Our Man in Warsaw, our friend Robert Sibel. There's only one question, but I think it's a good one. I loved Chanina when I was growing up in Detroit. My dad made the best in the world, even went to the market with him to get the duck. Unfortunately, I cannot find any Polish food here in New Mexico, where I now live. Do you have any idea where I could find Chavina? That's from Dennis Cherry, uh, from somewhere in New Mexico. And I have to say, I guess I'm not surprised that there's no Chavina in New Mexico. <laughs> so let's see what uh, uh, Robert's answer is. There are many Polish communities in Texas, Arizona, and California, but things Polish are less numerous in New Mexico. I did find a Red Rock Deli that specializes in Polish food in Albuquerque. It may be worth checking out. Years ago, the Dudek Company of Hamtramck, that's in Michigan, marketed heat and eat chanina in twist-off glass jars. Maybe you can have someone send you some, or if they're no longer in business, another brand. Any poultry market, although they are rare these days, should be able to provide the duck and its blood. I've heard that pork blood available at Oriental markets works well in this recipe. Good luck and smach nega. I know people make horrible faces when you even say the word chanina or duck's blood soup. However, I have to admit, I love it. My father used to bring it home from Aunt May's house and tell us it was chocolate soup. We were quite little, and who knew any better? Again, I still will have it anywhere I can find it. Okay, um... Survival Story, based on Lidice Massacre, by Renya Senko-Hanchak. Author Sophie Hodorovich-Nab is known for her thorough and well-researched work on topics that pertain to Polish culture and World War II history. Her recent article, The Stealing of Polish Children for Germanization, that was in the AMPO Legal back in January, was an insightful discussion of a little-known program enacted by the Nazi occupiers of Poland during World War II. Another author, Joan M. Wolfe, in her book, Someone Named Eva, used a different format to further enlighten the reader on the Germanization or Lebensborn program. Lebensborn? My German is not my thing. This historical fiction novel tells the story of a young girl taken from her mother and placed in a training program to become a, quote, proper German child, end quote. The quality of historical fiction weighs heavily on accuracy, research, and reliable actual events. Wolf bases her story on the well-documented Lidice Massacre, that's in May 1942 in Czechoslovakia, an assassination attempt and later death of Nazi officer Reinhard Heydrich infuriated Adolf Hitler and caused him to order the annihilation of the small town. Men were separated from women and children and immediately shot. Children were inspected by Nazi doctors, ten children, met the Aryan criteria, and were selected for, quote, Germanization. The women and non-Aryan-appearing children were then killed or sent to concentration camps. The author developed her story and characters by interviewing four survivors of the massacre, visiting the Lidice Museum site and research through the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C., Matilda, renamed Eva by the Lebensburg officials, entered an intense program of German language, culture, and forced Nazi indoctrination. In the retraining center, Eva 
interacted with Polish children who were also forced into the program. The author explains in her author's note that many Polish children were literally kidnapped off the street of Poland by Nazis known as brown shirts and placed in retraining centers. The fictional Eva was adopted by a German family and, following the war, was able to be united with her mother. Although this novel is aimed for the young reader, I was intrigued and inspired by the story and theme of this book. The incredible ability to survive despite horrific events is a lesson taught by the survivors of the massacre. The ability to recognize truth versus falsehood is even more important for us today. Uh, there is a website uh, that has more information about the massacre, and you can find it at www. I'm going to spell it L-I-D-I-C-E dash memorial dot C-Z. And there is an English version. Okay, time for our last break. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Ampole Eagle on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Let's go to Tom Tatapachki and the mailbag. Questions and answers. There are always good ones in here, so let's see what people have sent in. First question. I know that Frederick Chopin is considered the greatest Polish composer and a great Polish patriot. But is Chopin even a Polish name? That's from Smith in North Tonawanda. Tom's answer. Actually, Frederick Chopin's father, Nicolas Chopin, was a Frenchman who had emigrated to Poland in 1787 at the age of 16. He married Justyna Krzyzanowska, and their son, Frederick Franciszek Chopin, was born on March 1st, 1810 in Zelazowa, Poland, near Warsaw. In addition to Frederick, they had three girls, Ludwika, Isabella, and Emilia. Even though Nicholas was born in France, he considered himself a Pole. He even joined the fight for Poland's independence in the Kosciuszko Uprising in 1794 and was wounded in battle. So we now know Chopin is not a Polish name, but he certainly was of Polish heritage. Next question. I enjoyed your article on dining out in Broadway Fillmore. I was, however, disappointed to see that Seal's Restaurant was not mentioned. It was located at 88, I'm sorry, 887 Sycamore, next to Falcons. Seal Kilachowski was my mother-in-law, who lived for the restaurant. Many truckers, mail persons, and regular customers enjoyed having a home-cooked meal every day. My husband, Dan, died in October. The only remaining is Mary Louise Chehovsky at 79 years old. Seal had the restaurant for many years. Even after being robbed and physically hurt, she would not close. It was closed when she died on May 4th, 1999. And that information was sent from Carol Kilachowski. And Tom's answer. I know that many people enjoyed seals, but unfortunately, I never had the chance to dine there. Thanks for that information. Next question. I just saw the movie Bonnie and Clyde, and I thought that you wrote a while back that actor Michael J. Pollard was Polish. Is that right? That's from M.M. in Lancaster. Tom answers. 
Yes, I ran an item when the famous character actor passed away at the age of 80 back in November 2019. He was born Michael J. Pollock Jr. in Passaic, New Jersey, to Michael John Pollock and Sonia V. Dubanovich, or Dubanievich, both Polish-Americans. Michael became interested in acting at an early age and changed his surname to Pollard when he became an actor. He gained national attention in 1967's hit movie Bonnie and Clyde, in which he played the supporting role of C.W. Moss, a gas station attendant who became the gang's getaway driver. For that role, he received Academy Award and Golden Globe Award nominations for Best Supporting Actor and won a BAFTA Award for Most Promising Newcomer. His career spanned seven decades, with his final role coming in The Woods in 2012. Why all the hand-wringing about Donald Trump's recent comments about not supporting NATO and encouraging Russia to attack NATO members? It's just sarcasm, and he's trying to make a point about European countries contributing more to NATO. That's from Donna in New York. Tom answers, Polish officials seem to take his remarks seriously. Polish Defense Minister Władysław Kosiniak Kamish said, quote, undermining the credibility of allied countries means weakening the entire NATO. No election campaign is an excuse for playing with the security of the alliance, end quote. Referring to the war in Ukraine, Polish Prime Minister Donald Tusk expressed concerns about whether the United States would show, quote, full solidarity with other NATO countries in this confrontation that promises to last a long time with Russia, end quote. On a visit to France, Tusk said, quote, it is probably here in Paris that the words from the Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas resonate most clearly. All for one and one for all. When you're a president or a presidential candidate, people take things that you say seriously. When Trump was being sarcastic or not, his rhetoric was certainly dangerous. Okay. I know that there's a city named Kelsey in southern Poland with a slightly different spelling than the name of football stars Jason and Travis Kelsey. Do you think that their paternal ancestors came from that city? That's from Just Curious and Buffalo. And I've seen that myself and I've wondered. Tom answers that he has not yet been able to find anything to verify that. But it's a good guess. He's going to stay on top of it and keep us posted if he finds anything. Okay. It was interesting to read about Charlie the Butcher being in the Broadway market for most of its history until about 20 years ago. I didn't realize that the man who started it also served as mayor of Buffalo. That's from Ron Z in Tonawanda. Yes. Charles Resch was born in Buffalo in 1886, the son of a leading local meat packer. He eventually joined his father's business in the Chippewa market, but in 1914 started his own meat business, C. Resch Meats, at the Broadway market. Resch, a Republican, was elected mayor in November 1929 and succeeded Francis X. Schwab. After serving one term, he returned to his wholesale and retail meat business, which remained in the market until 2001. The company, which evolved into Charlie the Butchers, is still a family-run, uh, is still family-run and operates restaurants throughout the area. And to wrap up, Tom Tadapachki's mailbag. We recently celebrated Punchki Day. So my question to you is, where do you get your famous, your favorite Punchki? That's from Frank in New York. To be frank, Frank, I haven't found a commercially made Punchki that rivals a homemade one. 
Most of what are sold as punchki are really just donuts. A punchek is very different than a donut. Punchki are more about the dough than the filling, and they don't collapse when you take a bite. They also aren't extremely sweet like donuts that are covered with a thick glaze and have more filling than dough. My homemade punchki aren't quite as good as my babchas, but they're not bad. And I have to agree with Tom Tadapachki. Um, commercially sold punchki, even at my favorite, favorite bakeries, um, just don't compare. Uh, and they weren't sweet. They didn't have a lot of filling. The dough, um, <laughs> the dough was extremely heavy. Not my favorites, but certainly uh, a once-a-year tradition. Um, and Boucha Voitan loved them. Um, I'm going to do a quick rundown of polkas on tap. We've got Saturday, March 30th, Dingus Day Accordion Party at Milky's on Elmwood. 522 Elmwood Avenue. That's on the corner of Elmwood and Utica. Doors uh, open at 7 p.m. Music at 7.30. Cost you 10 bucks at the door and it features Captain Tom and the Hooligans and the Polka Maniacs. On Saturday, March 31st, Val's Pre-Dingus Day. Uh, it's at the M Hotel Buffalo, 2040 Walden Avenue from 6 p.m. till midnight. Again, 10 bucks will get you in. Featuring Lenny Gamolka's Chicago Push and Seven. So, we're getting ready for the big day. That's going to wrap up today's reading. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the February 22nd, 2024 issue of the Ampole Eagle. We read from the Ampole Eagle every Saturday at 3 p.m. Your reader has been Joanne Yanitsky. Thank you for listening. Dovidzenia.
this is Lita, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the February 23rd issues of the Island Dispatch and the Niagara 